Amen. Are you glad to be in church this morning? For all of you joining us online, we're so glad that you can be joining with us today. And as we got to know each other a little bit, some of you have been reaching out and uh, letting us know that you're watching. We're so glad to have you joining with us from all over the nation and around the world. Uh, And welcome to all the kids joining us on Family Sunday. So good. I know sometimes Family Sunday can be a little noisy. I know sometimes parents can be a little difficult. But I just believe, as Nadine said, there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. That's one God, one Spirit, and together we are one body. And so it's great for us to have this opportunity to worship together. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever done an escape room? Who's done an escape room in this place? Anyone done an escape room? A few people. Uh, Maybe... uh, If you're not familiar with an escape room, an escape room is basically you pay people to lock you in a room and be claustrophobic, and then you have to try to get out. There's one in Penticton here. It's a great one, and I have done a few escape rooms over the years, and I have a love-hate relationship with escape rooms. So basically, the premise is that they lock you in a room, and there's a mystery to be solved. There's clues to discover, puzzles to solve that will ultimately lead you to cracking the case and being able to unlock the final door that will get you out of the escape room. How many think that sounds like fun? How many think that sounds awful? <laughs> How many want to go this afternoon and do your very first escape room? You know, here's the reason is I have a love-hate, because it's so much fun when, they, when they, you first go in the room, and basically you have no idea even where to start. You don't know what the first clue is. You just walk in the room, and you, as a team, with all your family and friends and all the people around you, you start to look around the room for clues. How can we decipher what we need to do to get out of this room? It's a lot of fun. And as you crack the codes and work your way through it, you know, you feel like a real, like, um, crime solver. I was, I, all my, I was thinking of Matlock, and I don't know why that name came into my mind from, like, yeah, anyways, he was a lawyer, not a crime solver, and anyways, so it's a lot of fun, but it also can be a lot, really frustrating, because as you work your way through the clues, sometimes you reach a roadblock, and as much as you try, you only have an hour to get out of the room, and, then, and you can't figure out what the next step is, and you have to press the buzzer and call for the attendant to come and give you a clue. And this is why it's frustrating to me, because sometimes a clue can be so obvious. And she gives you the clue, and you think to yourselves, why didn't we think of that? It was so obvious. Other times, the clue is so obscure, and after they give you the clue, I think to myself, how were we ever supposed to think of that? Right? Who in the right mind would ever think of doing that? Well, needless to say, the whole point of the escape room is that it's not easy. It's supposed to be challenging. In fact, when you go and sign up, they have different levels of success rates of how many people have escaped the room, and it's not everyone who goes in gets out. I mean, through the game. They let you out eventually. But here's a picture of my family and I. And we did an escape room uh, just after Christmas. And as you can see, we almost got out, but not quite. We actually failed. Have you ever felt like you were given an impossible mission? A task that you were not set up for success? Maybe that you felt that you were set up to fail. Right? Maybe you were given a project at work and you felt like you weren't given the right budget or the right resources you needed for that task. Anyone ever been there? 
right? Maybe you were assigned to lead a group and you didn't feel that you had all the necessary information to lead the team, lead the group. Maybe you were assigned to a team and you felt that you didn't possess all the necessary skill sets that you needed to succeed, whether at work or at sports. I remember uh, when Jaden used to play uh, house league hockey and I would go. And in house league hockey, everybody plays, Everybody plays regardless of skill. And so I remember going there, and it's, it's for the kids. It's just for fun. But how many know there's always this little competitive thing that rises up in you, right? And, and I must say, their goalie didn't have the skills that they needed to succeed. Every single week, their team would get blown out. It would be 12 to 2, 15 to 3. It would just be awful. And I remember looking at Holly one week, and I was just saying, I know they're just kids, and we've got to encourage them along the way, but we would be better if we put a trash can in that than having this goalie. The trash can would stop more pucks than this goalie, right? It was like we were set up to fail. Well, in these situations, it's frustrating, right? Because no matter how hard or creative you work to overcome the obstacles and the challenges, it seems like you just can't succeed. Now, while Jesus was on earth, his mission was to proclaim and make known the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 11, verse 14, it says, After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You know what I find interesting about Jesus' approach to ministry, at least as we see it recorded here, is that he didn't spend too much time chastising culture. He didn't spend very much time critiquing the Roman Empire or getting bogged down in how bad things were. You know, instead of lamenting what was wrong with the world, he spent his time teaching and talking about a better way. A better way to know God and to live in the light. You know, instead of trying to convince people about how dark the world was, he began to build something better, something that would be in contrasting to the darkness. We see that Jesus began to build his church. How do know that the darker the night sky, the brighter the lights of the stars shine? Right? The further you go out into the darkness, when you get away from the city lights, the darker the night sky, the brighter you see the light. So rather than highlighting the bad news, Jesus proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God. And the result was that the good news began to spread around the world like wildfire. We know all about spreading wildfire, don't we? We know that it jumps lakes. It can go wherever the winds take it. And we see that the gospel and the good news of the kingdom of God began to spread. And many people around the world began stepping out of the darkness and into the light of Christ. Now fast forward three years and Jesus is starting to talk to his disciples about the next phase of his ministry. He begins talking to them about his succession plan. In Matthew 16, he says this, I will build my church and all the power of hell will not conquer it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Really quickly, without getting too much into it, the keys Jesus is talking about here, I believe, are the keys of the teaching of his identity and purpose for humanity. And see, what he has given them to us to turn the keys of heaven in people's lives and to unlock the kingdom of heaven to them. It's like Jesus has been building a house He's poured the footings and he's, he's laid the foundation and here he throws the keys to his disciples and say, here, now you build. Imagine the disciples, much like you and me, were like, but Jesus, we don't know how to build. 
We don't know how to read the blueprints. We've just been doing what you've been telling us to do. I don't know if you've ever found yourself on a construction site. I've done a little bit of construction over the years. And let me say, I'm not the foreman. I'm usually the gopher. Have you ever heard of the gopher? Go for this, go for that. That's the role. <laughs> oh, you guys are tight this morning. We've got to loosen you up a little bit. I can feel it. I can just see the people, the disciples. You know, Jesus, what if we get it wrong? Jesus, I think it's best if you stay here on site with us. Let's just keep doing the things the way we've been doing them. It's been working so far. That's why, why change now. But here's the thing. It's not that Jesus was building his church, that Jesus was building the kingdom of God, uh, and now that he, he's, he's quit. What we see is that he's still building his church and his kingdom, but now he's building it through us. But he hasn't assigned us an impossible task. Jesus hasn't set us up for failure. He, in fact, has made sure that we have everything we need to succeed. Over the past three weeks, we've been in this mini-series called The Holy Spirit. And as, over these two weeks, we've seen how Jesus was preparing his followers for his return to heaven. And in their sadness and in their confusion and their longing for him to stay with them, he told them this. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away because I'm sending someone else, someone just like me, Alos Parakletos, another one like me. And he would be a helper, a coach, a guide. And he's not going to be limited as I've been to one place and one time in this incarnate body. But he will be with you always. And not only with you, but he will be within you. We've talked about the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus left us the greatest gift that we could ever receive this side of eternity in the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about how one of the Spirit's roles is in our personal lives to bring refreshing. We saw that the Spirit brings refreshing through spiritual closeness and spiritual strength. And if you recall, one of our key takeaways from last week was this, is that the Holy Spirit is not a force to tap into, but, do you remember, a person to partner with. The Holy Spirit isn't a force to tap into, but a person to partner with. So I want to continue on that theme today as we dig deeper into the partnership that we have with the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about the empowering Holy Spirit today. Acts 1.9 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. See, the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't given solely for your benefit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is to enable your success in the mission that God has given you and the God, mission that God has given me and the, God, uh, the mission that God has given us corporately as a church, the building up of his church and the kingdom of God. And the way we partner with the Spirit is through spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives, I don't want you to misunderstand this. If you're familiar with Corinthians and much of the New Testament, you know that these, what we call books of the Bible, were actually letters written 
two local churches. And so Paul has written this letter to the Corinthians, and we can tell from the letter that he's writing in response to some questions that they've given him. And so here he's responding to their question about this special abilities or the gifts of the Spirit. Verse 4 says this, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So right off the bat, let's get a working definition about what is a spiritual gift. We're going to be in teaching mode a little bit today. What is a spiritual gift? Well, the word here, spiritual gift, that we translate in Greek is the word charismata. Charismata. You might have heard of charismatic churches, and we think of someone with charisma, uh, you know, having a vibrant personality. But charismata essentially just means gift of grace. Spiritual gifts are gifts of grace to his church. I want you to know this one, that spiritual gifts aren't to ruin your life. They're not to make you weird. Spiritual gifts are to cause you to fear. We don't need to fear the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. We see what is the source of the Holy Spirit? The source is, or the source of spiritual gifts is the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are God at work. God's using you beyond your natural abilities or capacity to understand. Spiritual gifts aren't your natural talents. We know that God shaped you and formed you, He gave you your natural abilities. But spiritual gifts are an enablement of the Spirit to above and beyond your natural abilities. We'll talk about that in a moment. Sometimes it's complementary to your demeanor, your natural demeanor. Sometimes, you know, if you have that effervescent personality and God uses you in a way that is corresponding to your natural gift, to your natural character, sometimes it goes opposite of your character. Uh, I have a friend named Carrie, and Carrie doesn't say very much publicly. But when she does, when God uses her in the gift of prophecy, uh, she, everyone just stops and listens because she doesn't say much normally. But when she does, there's just a depth and a richness to how God uses her. Now we see the source is the Holy Spirit. And we see here that the purpose is to help each other. We see that the purpose is to build up, to encourage, to equip, and to comfort. First, the church and as we build up the church, the gifts of the Spirit overflow from the church into our community and into our world. See, when we see spiritual gifts at work, it's an assurance that God sees and knows and cares and is supplying what we need in that moment. If you've ever had someone ministering to you in the gift of the Spirit, it's just like one of those moments where you say, thank you, Jesus, that this was clearly a moment where you saw me, you heard me, you spoke to me. See, the thing I've discovered is that God most often cares for people through his people. Right? We know that God can do the miraculous. We know that God can do, uh, you know, create out of nothing. We know all of that, but we see that God most often cares for people through people. And so I want us to pay special attention to who spiritual gifts are given to. Verse 7 says a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Would you say that with me? Would you say to each of us? To each, Nadine's even got my gesture, to each of us. Not some of us, not the most spiritual of us, not even the most mature of us. 
a spiritual gift is given to each of us, not just to pastoral staff, not just to church leaders, not just to spiritual superstars, whatever that means, right? A gift is given to each of us. There's no elitism when it comes to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. See, spiritual gifts, they're not privileges or rewards. It's not like you reach a certain level of spirituality and unlock the next level of spiritual gift. We see here that these are responsibilities that are given to us by God. Yes, we can grow into our giftings. Yes, as we mature, God trusts us with more. We see that uh, idea, the, the talents, the this good, faithful servant using their talents. As they uh, grew in what they were given, they were entrusted more. But it's not about elitism. It's not about privilege or reward. We sp- see spiritual gifts are responsibilities to steward, to use for the glory of God, for the benefit of others. They're not personal statuses. Or they're not power symbols or popularity. We actually see in Corinthians that Paul was trying to sort out that the people were eager for spiritual gifts, but they were eager almost to like one-up each other, it seems. And, and Paul was trying to, you know, uh, to lay a foundation for them and that to each of us is given a gift so that we can help each other. All Christians receive a spiritual gift. All spiritual gifts are useful And all spiritual gifts are designed to serve and help others and ultimately bring glory to God. So a definition of spiritual gifts, if I had to describe it, this is what I wrote. I said, a spiritual gift is a God-given capacity to serve the body of Christ by communicating the knowledge, the power, and the love of Jesus by divinely empowered means. If you're a follower of Jesus, spiritual gifts are for you. Paul says, I don't want you to misunderstand it. Another translation says, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. A number of years ago, uh, I, the government of Canada updated their website. And the CRA, everyone loves the CRA. It's almost tax time, right? So they're so wonderful in their uh, you know, efficiency and all of that stuff, right? We love them, the CRA. But they developed a new uh, part on their website where you could go into your CRA account. And they had a new feature. And the feature was that you could go and see if there were any unclaimed checks in your name. Did you know that? If you go into my account on CRA, there's a a button that says, is there any unclaimed uh, checks? And as this was a new feature, everyone was talking about them going. And I, I forget now the millions of dollars that the government says they have in unclaimed checks. But I heard about this and I went to the website. And would you believe it? The government owed me $130. I had two unclaimed checks. And you know what happened? I'm pretty sure is that one day, just like you, I got something in the mail and I threw it in the pile and I thought, ah, it's just government, whatever it is. I just threw it in the pile. Didn't bother to open it, didn't bother to look at it. And at some point in time, it made it from the junk drawer to the trash can and it was unclaimed. Thankfully, I could go online and see what it was and get that. How many know that there are gifts that God's given to his people that often go unclaimed, unexamined, unused? I read a stat this week that said one-third of of church-going Christians in North America say they have little to no idea about the gifts of the Spirit. 
I don't know what your background was, if you grew up going to church or you went to a different sort of church that may or may not talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe you went to a church that talked about it a lot, but we see here that the gifts of the Spirit are to be desired. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Is that something that's been on your mind as you grow in your spiritual walk? I want to desire the gifts the Spirit gives. Well, the Holy Spirit, like we said, isn't a force to tap into, but a person to partner with. You don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit or his gifts. How many know that Jesus gives good gifts, right? There's people in our lives that we know that when we get a gift from them, it's a good gift. There might be other people in our lives that we know that whatever we get from them is not going to be a great gift. Uh, we have a, a family member uh, in our family, and you know, we just kind of knew uh, whatever we got a gift from them is like, eh, probably not going to be that great. <laughs> and uh, Holly's laughing; she knows who it is. I, I'm not going to say, uh, but bless their heart. That's what we say: like bless their heart, right? It's the thought that counts, right? Or not thought in her case. Anyways, uh, I'm saying too much. This is online. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to edit this out. <laughs> We don't need to be afraid because Jesus gives good gifts. If it's from Jesus, you know it's going to be good. And so partnering with the Holy Spirit to build his church and encourage the people around you is one of the most fulfilling things that you and I get to be a part of, that God calls us to. Now here's the thing. Spiritual gifts don't operate independently of our will. It's important for us to know this. Spiritual gifts do not operate independently of our will or our effort. It is a partnership with the Holy Spirit, who's empowering you to operate beyond your natural ability. We see this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul tells Timothy, do not neglect the spiritual gift in you. In 2 Timothy 1, Paul also reminds Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. See, this, the gifts of the Spirit don't operate independently of our will. God doesn't possess us and make us do the things that he's called us to do. It's not like we fall into a trance and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We actually operate in our hearts and in our minds in partnership with what the Spirit is impressing and enabling us to do. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Now, one of the fascinating things about the Bible's approach to spiritual gifts is that there isn't one master list. There isn't one menu to choose from. In fact, there's a few kind of randomized lists. There's, there's seemingly different types of spiritual gifts. And, and we're seeing here that we should desire these gifts, that these gifts are important, but interestingly, Scripture doesn't go into too much detail uh, about describing each gift or how to operate or how each one functions. And so we're going to look at it today, but we're going to see that the Bible talks to us about our partnership with the Spirit. We get into motion, and the Spirit will begin to reveal to us and show us how to operate in these gifts. Now, theologians have broken down the gifts into three categories. Scripture doesn't put them into these categories so rigidly, but it is a framework for us to help uh, understand these spiritual gifts. The first uh, category is motivational gifts. Motivational gifts. Now, these are the gifts that often shape our perspective on life and motivate our words or actions. Now, we see kind of two areas of gifting. We see what we call residential gifts, and we see circumstantial gifts or occasional gifts. 
And there seems to be some gifts that live within you, that you wake up every day with this gift, that you operate in a regular basis with this gift. We call that a residential gift. Sometimes these motivational gifts seem to fall in that nature. The other one is uh, circumstantial or occasional gifts. It's like as the need, as the circumstance requires, that's when this gift is given to us to meet that need. So motivational gifts we see in Romans 12, verse 6 to 8. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness, or other versions say mercy, to others, do it gladly. Now, as we look at this list, we're not going to go through them in depth or else we're going to be here all day. But we'll, we'll talk about prophecy in a moment. But, but I see here the gift of serving, of hospitality. What does that look like? You know, it's not even a spiritual gift. You know, there's a lot, all of us as Christians are called to be uh, encouraging and giving and sharing our faith. We're all supposed to be doing those things, all of us together. But there's a grace or a gift that certain one of us have to excel in that way beyond what would be a normal capacity. I remember we had a lady, I grew up in a pastor's home and we were at Havelock Pentecostal Church, just a little church in Havelock, Ontario. And we had a lady with a gift of hospitality. It was a gift that was beyond just being hospitable and kind. And this was her ministry to the church. You're not going to believe it. She was the pie lady. That was her ministry. She was the pie lady. Her gift of hospitality was that she goes, a pastor, I know you're always hosting people. You're always invited to people's places. Her gift was, I want to make sure that you always have a stock of pies in your freezer so that you could use them at any time to host people and to be hospitable. That was her gift to the church. Imagine that, a gift of the pie lady. Maybe someone else you know has a gift of encouragement. You know, maybe you've met someone, and when you spend time with them, it's extraordinarily encouraging. You leave their presence, and they've spoken things of God into your life in a way that you just feel so built up, and it's just beyond ordinary. You know, it's not as beyond you're doing a good job, but they're speaking life into you, this gift of encouragement. How many know that criticism is not a gift of the Spirit? We don't see it here, right? Some people have the gift of seeing everything that's wrong. And they feel the need to tell you. That's not a spiritual gift. I do want to encourage you, though, if you are seeing everything that's wrong, it might be that God is calling you to lean in and make it right. God might be calling you to reach in and to be a part of building his church in this way. Now, notice there's no ranking or importance to the spiritual gift. You know, as someone, uses, as someone who uses their gift on a public stage... I wanted to say most often I'm ministered to by people in private. There's no ranking. You know, having a public voice, the people who pour into my life are often the, the small voices behind the stage who are encouraging me and, and um, you know, um, pushing me to use my gift in even greater ways. There's not a ranking of spiritual gifts. 
The kindnesses and the encouragements that happen in private are just as powerful and often more so than the things that happen on a public platform. So we have these motivational gifts. We often see, we also see ministry gifts. Ephesians 4 talks about the gifts God uses to develop and equip his believers, the church, and we often call these the five-fold ministries. Ephesians 4 says these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. I love this. Because we often look at the people on the platform and think those are the professional ministers. Yeah, we even call them that, the ministers. You know, when there's a hospital visit, can you call the minister? How many know that we see in Scripture that it's actually the gifts to the church that these leaders use their giftings to equip the body of Christ to do the ministers? The ministers of this church are the people sitting in the chairs and in the pews. You are the ministers of this church. And everywhere you go, you have the ministry of Christ available to you. The third category is manifestation gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now manifestation, that sounds strange, but it simply just means on display. That's what manifestation means. Visible, on display. The gifts of the Spirit that are on display, they're often supernatural demonstrations of the Holy Spirit's presence and power for the benefit of others to bring glory to Jesus. I love Dr. Sam Storms. He says, spiritual gifts are God going public amongst his people. That's what spiritual gifts are. When we see them in operation, when we see them in use, when we encounter them, we know that God is in this place, that God is speaking, God is seeing the need, that God is fulfilling the, the need in this place. First Corinthians chapter 12 talks about these manifestation gifts. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. We just read that. Verse 8 says this. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles. And another, the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So we see in Scripture that it's the Spirit who gives the gifts. The Spirit is the gift giver. And so we've each been given a gift by the Holy Spirit if we are believers in Jesus Christ. Some of us have multiple gifts. The Bible says that we are to earnestly desire the gifts. We even see Paul saying that we could pray for the gifts that we don't have. Uh, one of them was interpretation. If you speak in tongues, you can pray for another gift or to be used by God in a special way. But we see here, let's talk about some of these gifts. The word of wisdom. Have you ever felt like you just had no idea what you should do? All the parents in the place, you're right there with us, right? There's no manual for raising your kids. We often find ourselves in a place where I just don't know what to do. But we see a word of wisdom as God divinely depositing insight into you. We see right now that, you know, I don't know why or how I know what to do. But God has put something in my heart that I believe is direction. You know, 
how did you know to ask that question? I don't know. The Holy Spirit put it on my heart. How did you know to look into that option? I don't know. It was the Spirit leading me. A couple of weeks ago, I told you when Holly and I bought our first house. And the house that we were looking at was basically already sold. It had gone back and forth. And I shared with you that in that moment, I wasn't even thinking I'm not putting an offer on this house. And Holly and I prayed. And in that moment, I felt the Lord put a number on my heart to offer on that house. And I told you how six months later we got the, the tax statement and they said, we assess the value of your house at exactly the dollar number that you offered three years later. That is a word of, of wisdom, uh, something to do, how to, how to proceed. We have, the word of wisdom, we have the word of knowledge. This is when God shares something that you wouldn't normally know. Oftentimes I've seen people who are operating in a word of knowledge and they'll just have like a, a thought or a picture. It's not usually the whole picture. It's kind of like a puzzle piece. And I've seen in instances where someone wanted to speak encouragement to somebody and the person being used by the Spirit just said, you know, I, I'm sensing the name like Andre or Alex or, you know, whatever. And, and someone said, well, those are, those are my parents' names. That's not something that you would know, but it was kind of a sign to that person that was what, to, what was to follow was supernatural. I'm not talking about mentalism and mind tricks and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, that God knows exactly what you need to hear. We'll talk more about the word of knowledge in just a second. Next, he talks about the gift of faith. Beyond just your saving faith in Jesus, sometimes there's this gift that rises up within you. He says, I just have so much faith and courage and boldness. I have faith to pray. I have faith to believe. I have faith to step out into something that other people wouldn't necessarily have faith for. It's an amazing gift of faith. We see the gift of healings and miracles for the building up of others and to bring glory to God. Now, this is what I wanted to say is that sometimes you see the gifts of the Spirit sort of combined together. We see so often the word of knowledge and the gift of faith and the gift of healing combining together. Let me give you an example. I was shared with you at one time when I was in high school, I had torn my ACL ligament. I was playing sports and tore my ligament. And for six months, I hobbled around in pain. And I was praying the whole time, God, would you heal my leg? God, would you heal my knee? And uh, in that time frame, God didn't bring healing to me. In fact, I went to, to a surgeon and God provided healing a different way. I believe God provides healing miraculously, but he also provides healing medically. And so God chose to use the medical route that time. And so I got medical healing. I got knee surgery. Well, about a year and a half later, I was fooling around on a bike. And as I was fooling around on the bike, I put my leg down and I could feel my knee tweak. I could feel that I had done some damage to what had just been repaired. And about a month later, I was in a worship service at a youth group. I was just playing guitar in the background of a, as a high school, young adult, 19-year-old kid. And uh, I had a guest speaker that day, and the guest speaker was about to preach. Before he did, he just said, you know, I feel like God wants to do something in this place. I feel like God has a miracle for someone, a gift of healing today. And we're like, oh, that's cool, right? That'd be cool if God was doing that. And uh, this person said, I, I, what I'm picturing is that there's someone with a knee injury. And I remember playing my guitar. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I love to see what God's going to do. I'm not thinking anything. And then he said, well, I think that this knee injury came from a sports accident. This is the word of knowledge. 
God is giving a word of knowledge. She didn't know, you know, exactly what was happening. And as I was waiting for someone to step forward, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit was like, it's you, dummy. Like, and I was like, oh, it was, you know, and I said, well, I have a knee injury. And so the word of knowledge was coupled with a gift of faith where this man reached out and he prayed over me. And in that moment, I was healed and I've never had a knee injury since, never had any pain, nothing. Amen. And that's the gift of the Spirit. Let me tell you, it was really normal. It wasn't freaky or spiritual or, or you know, like, woo. It's just like someone using the gift of the Spirit in that moment, and it created something of value in my life. Uh, yeah, the healing was great. But to know as a 19-year-old kid that God saw me and that God could touch me and that God did the miraculous, that set me up for the trajectory of my life. I love Nikki Gumbel says, he said, healing's weird. He said, we, well, I, I don't pray. I don't see healing all the time. I see healing sometimes. And says, so, so I'm just going to pray for healing every time and let God do it. But there are certain people with a gift of healing where it seems like God uses them in more uh, intense ways uh, than others, more uh, frequent ways than others. We can all just pray and let the Spirit move through us. He talks here about the gift of prophecy and discernment. And beyond that, he says, eagerly desires the spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy. You know, when we think about prophecy, we often think about the unknown future, the prediction of what's to come, and that can be. But we see the goal of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14 is to strengthen, encourage, and to comfort. You know, prophecy, if you had to boil it down to, you know, what it is, is declaring the things God has divinely revealed to you to share. That's all prophecy is. It is. It's different than teaching. Teaching's based in, you know, unpacking scripture, but prophecy is sharing a word divinely revealed to you. Like I said, this is a partnership with the Holy Spirit. It's not that God comes over you, possesses you, causes you to do weird things, to function in the gifts. We see in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this, remember the people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. The gifts of the spirit aren't to cause confusion. They're not to cause disarray in the body of Christ. We can be in control and in proper form and use of the gifts of the spirit. Now, what I found with prophecy is that it's usually confirming something that the person is already sensing. I often will pray, say, God, will you help me have a prophetic word, an encouraging word? Show me what to pray, what to say to the people that I encounter. That's an everyday part of my life. Everyone I come across, God, how would you use me to speak into their life? And once in a while, God will put a thought in my mind or something as I'm praying for someone or speaking to them. Like I said, it's often like a partial picture. You know, maybe it's like just a, an image in my mind or it could be just a word. And uh, as I begin thinking it and praying it over it, uh, I'll just ask the person, you know, I, I'm sensing that maybe God might be saying this to you. And I say, does this make sense to you? You know, and they might say, yeah, that's totally, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That's, you're reading my mail, as it were. God is speaking to me. Sometimes they say, eh, I, I don't know, that doesn't really make any sense. And that's okay, too, because I could have it wrong, or maybe they're in misunderstanding. I always say to them, you know what, just put that on the shelf. Put it on the shelf and see if God, you know, takes that down later and uses it in your life. 
You know, someone gives you a prophetic word, it's okay for you to judge the prophecy. It's okay for you to say, is this from God? It's okay for you to say, yeah, I, I think you could be off base. We see in the New Testament, Old Testament prophecy was a little different in the sense that God was speaking directly to his people through the prophets. And the penalty for getting prophecy wrong in the Old Testament was death. Right? There's no such thing as a false prophet in the Old Testament because the penalty was death. You better make sure you're hearing from God if you're gonna speak on behalf of God. That's a little different than New Testament prophecy. We actually see in the New Testament, Agabus is talking to Paul. And Agabus is saying, you know, I'm praying and the Lord is telling me that there's going to be opposition to you in Rome. And so I'm believing that God is telling me that you shouldn't go to Rome. And we see that Paul actually says to Agabus and his experience is, Agabus, you, you saw it truly that there is going to be opposition in Rome, but you misunderstood the application. It wasn't to make me not go to Rome. It's just so that when I go to Rome, I'll know that God knows what I'm going through and that God is with me in it. See, prophecy isn't uh, predictive. It's not uh, the, the be-all and end-all. When Holly and I were recently engaged, we were at a youth rally, and we were just a month away from our wedding. And we were at a room, and there were probably two or 300 people in the room, and we were just worshiping God together. And I was standing over here, and she was standing over there. I don't know why, as, new, as engaged couples, we were, but we were separate. And there's a crowd of people around us. And as we were in this service, the worship leader said, you know, I just want to pause for a moment. I believe that God's giving me something to share. And he said, I, I believe something for you. She pointed to me, and she said, and I believe something for you over here. And we kind of looked at each other, oh, it's, and so we kind of came to the middle, and as we came to the middle, we grabbed each other's hands, like engaged people do. We were standing there, and he goes, are you guys together? We're like, yes, we're together. He goes, that makes so much more sense. You know, as he stepped out, he said, I have something for you, something for you. And the image he had is that God put in him this idea of the harp and the bow, and he said, I don't know what that means to you, the harp and the bow, but this is the image that God's given to each of you. And as we looked at each other, and we looked at the ministry that we were about to launch into just one month later, we said, you know, God's used us, me, to preach the word of God, like the bow. And Holly, you see her leading in worship, she's the harp. And as we were just saying, you know what, this is God just sort of affirming and confirming in us his calling on our life and our ministry and on our relationship. Just something to encourage us for what we were about to step into. A really normal moment, but unreal in the sense that, wow, God, you are so great that you could do that. Lastly, we see the tongues, the interpretation. The Spirit enables people to pray, to worship, to give thanks, and speak a language unknown to the speaker. We talked about this heavenly prayer language a little bit last week, and we saw that when it's done in the public worship service that requires interpretation. But here's the thing. You and I are called to build something beautiful. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and it's going to stand out in contrast to the darkness of this world. It's going to be compelling to people to come and step into its light. He says, I am building my church, but you are going to be my ambassadors. You are going to be my people on the ground, but I'm not setting you up for failure. So I'm actually setting you up for success, giving you everything you need. He said, Paul said to you, fan into flame the spiritual gifts in your life. How do we fan into flame spiritual gifts in our lives today? I believe each and every one of us should be eagerly desiring and fanning into flame the spiritual gifts. We need to seek God's guidance 
through prayer and study. If you've never done a study on spiritual gifts, I would encourage you to take some time over the next month or so and read all the scriptures as you can about spiritual gifts. Maybe get a commentary. Get, uh, I'm going to post some resources online this week on our social media channels to help you uh, read and study about spiritual gifts. I want to encourage you to step out in faith. Make it a part of your daily life. Every day when I wake up, I say, Holy Spirit, how do you want to use me today? Where can I hear from you? Where, where can I be used by you? And creating space for the Holy Spirit to move. You know, a lot of times these things happen in worship services, but not always. Sometimes it happens in lobbies. Sometimes it happens in parking lots. Sometimes it happens in coffee shops. But we got to make it part of our everyday life to create space for the Spirit to move. There's a lot of free spiritual assessments you can take online. And really, if you take them, it's going to ask you what you're already doing. What do you already feel compelled to do? Take a couple of them and compare them if you want. But I want to encourage you to spend less time trying to identify your gift. And spend more time praying, giving, helping, teaching, serving, and encouraging. And the more you get into motion, the more likely you're to walk into your gifting. So you can't steer a parked car, but when we get into motion, God steers us into our calling. And God is most likely revealing his gifts to you in the moments when you need them. So we're not just going to sit on the sideline hoping God will reveal his gifts to us, but when we step out and build the church, when we build the kingdom of God, we'll find that his gifting is there in the moment we need it. Look for a need in the church and fill it. Look for a hurt. And take care for it. Listen to a cry for help and answer that cry. Be attentive to the voice of God and respond to it when you hear it. Look for other people's gift and encourage it in them. Look for what's missing in the church and supply it. See, when you step out, you're building God's church and you're expanding his kingdom and God's empowering Holy Spirit will equip you with everything that you need. Will you stand with me all across this church today? Lord God, I just thank you. Lord, that you haven't called us to an impossible task. God, you haven't called us to do this on our own, but you've actually empowered us by your Holy Spirit. Father, for those of us that are familiar with the gifts, I pray, Lord, that you would fan in the flame a renewed passion to be used by you. Lord, for us that are learning about them for the first time, God, I pray that you would uh, give us a trust that your gifts are good and that you want to use us. I pray that we would believe that, each and every person here, that you've gifted us and called us, each and every one, to build your church and to build your kingdom. And Lord God, I pray that we'd have an increased sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's movement in our life. And when we sense the Holy Spirit's prompting, we would partner with you and as we do that, God, we are going to unlock so much potential in our own lives and in the potential of the people around us. We're going to be unlocking the keys of the kingdom. Lord, the spiritual doors to people all around us, we pray. We love you, Lord Jesus. We trust you. Help us, we pray. In your 